0: Can be here tonight. Jeff, Jeff and Sandra are faithful servants of the Lord. Um, I, I appreciate their faithfulness in the ministry and their their sensitivity to following the Lord's leadership wherever He has directed their steps. And they just go, they just go with it. And um, I'm have them come or him come. I don't know. Sandra, you want to sing tonight? You're welcome to do that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to them. Would you Would you welcome Jeff and Sandra to Faith Baptist tonight? We're glad they're here. Amen. Excuse me, I'm kind of get gimpy this evening, I toted a door the other day and twisted my back the wrong way, so, can I take my coat off, I hate these things, these and the sacred noose ought to be burned, right Mark, oh okay, somehow I didn't think you'd agree with me, it's good to see y'all tonight. Thank you for coming out in the cold. And the, um, I did exactly what Brother David told me not to do. I put my foot right on this, on this bottom part of the pulpit. That's going to be tough. But it's cold out, ain't it? Did y'all get a bunch of ice and snow? You know what's the craziest thing? We got about that much at my house. And about a mile away, they got about six inches. I never understood that. But it was cold, and, um, you know, things are still shut down. Y'all talk about having a good service this morning. We did, too. You know, brother, I, I, I was supposed to be here this morning, and I asked Pastor Mark's permission to stay at Victory this morning, in our home church, because I'm teaching a series through why Israel is God's chosen people and why they still are, right? So I'm doing that on a couple different life groups that we have, and then we also started on, on Wednesday nights. So I've been pretty busy with that. And I was supposed to finish it up in a classroom this morning. And I'll be if they didn't cancel one of our services. And so I'm like, well, you know, people are going to stay home this morning. We had about 400 people in church this morning. We had one combined service. It kind of blessed my heart to see that many people there. I don't know if they wanted to be in church or if they were just tired of being cooped up at home. Right? You know, one thing Pastor Mark didn't tell me this evening was... uh, what time do we finish? Okay, he said he didn't know. That's good. So it's good to see you all. Thank you. Who doesn't? Who's never seen my ugly face before? couple of you. I'm so sorry you got stuck with me tonight. <laughs> this is my wife, Sandra. Um, I'll ask her to stand. I always introduce Sandra as my better third. You all have heard me say that before, right? She's a bit gimpy too. Man, I tell you what, the, the 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 Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so the day right before Thanksgiving, they operate on her on her foot. Right? And then the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, they operated on her hand. So she's been one foot out, one hand out, and uh, she thought she was she was all spry, you know, she's out doing things around the house and she goes to the doctor a couple weeks ago knowing she's gonna get out of that boot, and the doctor says, No, nope, your foot ain't doing what it's supposed to be doing. You better stay in that boot a few more weeks. So she's It does kind of look like a snow boot, so she's kind of in style this week. (laughs) Um, You know, let's pray before we get started. Is that okay? And I'm just going to talk tonight. Is that all right? All right. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We love you. and Lord, none of us have any hope outside of you. Um, I don't really want any hope outside of you these days, Lord seems like the older I get, the more ready I am to go home. And Lord, I thank you for that hope and that promise that we have that whether my day is today or whether my day is whenever, the hope that I have to see you face to face is becoming more precious every day. And I thank you for that. Lord, we're gathered here tonight based on our common bond as being brothers and sisters in you, your children, friends, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time together. And, God, that we will um, enjoy our time together. And, Lord, that the things that we will say and do, Lord, I pray that they will be pleasing to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Mark asked me to kind of bring folks up to date because he wasn't sure who who knew us or not. So he asked me to kind of tell you our story. And I was born a poor child in Central Florida in 19... 19- well, you don't want me to go back that far, do you? No. <laughs> uh, we'll be here all night. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, Pastor Mark said we've been friends for a long time, and there's a lot of truth to that. Um, Pastor Mark and Sandra used to go to the same church, Victory Baptist Church in Maryville, which is that's our sending church, our home church, uh, pastor Cross led Sandra to the Lord when she was 16 years old, and her and Mark stomped around. Amen, right? And uh, but, but Pastor Mark and her stomped around in the same youth group for a while, and then so we've got to see Mark grow through his time here at Faith, got to see him uh, be a faithful, faithful, strong support to his pastor for a lot of years, and then make a a jump that you probably don't understand the gravity from moving from one office in a church to that office. Um, it, it's a it's a load that unless you've been there before you don't understand it. And he's grabbed it by the horns and done. A, how long now, brother? Eight years, and then just done a fine, just doing tra- tremendous, and it's a gratifying thing for us to see. I remember Mark more at BBC than I do because I, I met Sandra at Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri in 1982, I guess. I think the first time I saw her, I barked at her like a dog. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so I, we started dating in 1983 and I remember probably meeting you sometime in that time frame and coming to victory and we were married 41 years ago. 40, Yeah, this year be 41 years. And I tell you what, um, I'm a very, very fortunate man. God's been very, very good to me with just a wonderful wife. Um, Just uh, my best friend still after all this time. But, um, you know, we've kind of come through. uh, We we were both in in the missions course in Springfield, got married. And you know what we did? We spent 10 years running from God. You ever done that? yeah I mean not everybody does we did it's my fault not hers you know and I just wasn't sure of what I was supposed to be doing I was one of those kind of youngins that you know my mama took me to church and um, when I got out on my own I didn't really know what I wanted to do and the truth was I needed to grow up and I did a tour of duty in the, in the Navy Sandra was, did a tour of duty in the Navy and later on our three sons went in the Navy two are still in I always just kind of figured that the USS Enterprise was my, was I was Jonah, and the USS Enterprise was my great fish. It kind of swallowed me up. But you know, I just, I remember, um, I remember being out on, uh, on Liberty in Italy, and I, I remember sitting on the stoop of this house, the kind of like row houses like you might see in some of our cities up north, and, and I was... Not doing the things I was supposed to be doing. And I remember the Holy Spirit just convicting me. You know, Jeff, you're you're supposed to be here, but it ain't for the reason you're here. You're supposed to be here telling people about Jesus. You know what the, the truth is? If you're God's children, you can't get away from it. You can't. I mean, I'm running from God, and I'm in Italy, and he's there. Amen. Right? And so... Um, wasn't too long, you know, we did our tour duty in the Navy and got out and came back and, and settled in, in Maryville. And my, my thing was I was going to buy me a log cabin at the foot of the mountains, and I did. And ended up getting back in church and was kind of, you know, I was one of the, what, what do you do, Christmas and Easter? Attendance there for a while. But then God got a hold of my heart and started doing the things that a Christian ought to do. Started showing up on church on Sunday night. If your church has church on Sunday night, you ought to be there, right? No, that's what we did. My church doesn't have church on Sunday night, so I'm okay to be here. Right? <laughs> but we have church on Wednesday night and Thursday night. But you know, and so we started going on Wednesday night. Next thing you know, I started teaching a class, and Sandra's teaching that with me, and then she starts teaching the kids' class. And it didn't take us too long before we realized that God really had never uncalled us. You know? And 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 I think that's a that's a thing that a lot of us deal with, because I'm telling you. As we have been around this country, Sandra, I've been missionaries for over 20 years now. As, as I've been around this country, I can't tell you the number of times I've had somebody come to me and say, well, brother, God called me when I was 16 years old. Okay. Do you think he uncalled you? If you haven't disqualified yourself. And I'm convinced that there, all over, in churches all across America, there are the called that are still sitting in the chair. That never answered the call. And that call's still there. God never uncalled us. And so, man, we we loaded up with three kids and went back to Bible college. Full-time students with three kids. Wouldn't it have been smarter to do it before we had any kids? Right? (laughs) I've never been accused of being smart. And, um, you know, long story short, uh, we finished our time at Baptist Bible College. And God took us to the field of American Samoa. And um, we, we did this survey trip and you know it's kind of where you go and you kind of eyeball the thing and see if that might be where God would have you go and just went there and just you know was so impressed that the the need that was there and when I met there one of the things that was really impressed upon me was I asked the national pastor um, are there any other missionaries here oh brother Jeff there's no other missionaries here and that just breaks my heart I'm a Baptist missionary independent Baptist you know and um, I'm calling around to, to, to introduce our ministry to people in Knoxville and I get, get a hold of this church says, I think we got a missionary in American Samoa already. No you don't, I'm the only one. How arrogant was that, right? Long story short, it was a funny, it was a man with a funny last name. Yingling. <laughs> right? That was before you were born, son. And, and so I called up Brother John And uh, I got his number through the church there. And there used to be a Ryan's on uh, Kingston Pike out there. There's a Chinese place out there now, Hibachi Grill or something. And we made an arrangement to meet there. And John's has 900 kids, and I had three, right? And and so we we go in there, and I'm eyeballing him, and he's eyeballing me. And it's obvious that we were probably not from the same mold. Um, But you know what? god fostered a friendship between the two of us that is so is still very very strong today and i'm so grateful for that because john is throughout time you know john's story he came back and became the the general general director of of Baptist international outreach now the president and uh, graciously invited us to participate and so when we did our 10 years of missionary service. We came off the field for a number of years. And so when we went back to the field in 2014, it was just natural. Bio was just a good fit for us, close to home, friends. And so we've been with Bio for 10 years now. That just doesn't even seem right, does it, but Terry, how can it be that long? And in that time, we've been working in the country of Bolivia, and God's done some tremendous things, continues to do some tremendous things there. We actually I've got more work in Bolivia now than I ever have uh, through um, our church, we, we went through and did some, uh, a church restore work, we started a couple of new churches, a couple of new different kids ministries and we also one of the things I'm most excited about is we've put together this uh, network of pastors in about 10 different places throughout Bolivia and actually going into Peru, into Paraguay, Uruguay, Brazil, Ecuador, uh, surrounding countries in, in the area there where we're pastoring these pastors. You know, the funny thing is, is in the United States, a pastor often has a fellowship meeting he can go to. You don't have that in these South American countries. They don't have anybody. And so what they, as we've interviewed pastors, we've said, pastor, we, we're we doing the work. God's called us, but we don't have anybody to look to. We don't have anybody to pastor us and to train us. And so I'm really excited about that because I'll be 62 next month. The, at my stage of life, to be able to go into a mentoring role with our, the, our current works that we have in Bolivia, plus this 10 or so new churches that we've been partnered with in different areas. And so God has just kind of expanded our works in Bolivia in a, in a tremendous way. And I, 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 I assume I will always be involved in Bolivia till the Lord takes me home or, or tells me otherwise. But a few years ago, uh, the opportunity to be the Latin America director came about. And Honestly, I'm still trying to figure that out. Can I be honest about that? You know, I mean, I'm I'm a missionary at heart. My heart's on the field. How do you help other missionaries? And I remember times. I remember you you guys in your last missions conference focused a bit on missionary care, didn't you? And I remember a time or two that we needed some missionary care. Uh, in, in 2006 and 7, really probably 2005, 6 and 7 in Bolivia. Man, that place is about to go crazy into civil war. And you talk about the stress. I did anybody to talk to. I did I have anybody that I could call up and say, hey, you know, what do you do here? And so I understand the need for missionaries to be able to have somebody to talk to. We had a missionary just through bio a couple years ago that was facing a financial need, a legitimate issue. They they followed God's calling in their life, and, and that led them to, because of COVID, making a decision that forced them to, to kind of put themselves at risk financially. And... The, the joy that I was able to have to be able to help them raise the money to offset that so that they could stay on the field to do the work. Reminded me kind of my, my son, my oldest boy, he's a supply officer in the Navy. Probably never see combat, Lord, I hope he never does, right? But do you know that his job is so vital for the soldiers that are actually, or the Navy guys, the Navy SEALs, the ships that are wherever they are, that are on on the field in the field doing the work if he wasn't there to see that they had the supplies and the resources and everything that they need they wouldn't be able to do the job that they, that they need to do there's and I cannot remember the passage of a friend of mine named Jeremy Gresham um, his father was Clarence Gresham if anybody knows he pastored in, um, in Knoxville there he preached a message called sticking by the stuff. And I can't remember the, the the passage that he used about it, but it was about a, a group of soul a group of people that the soldiers were out in the field, but they left somebody to stay by the stuff and guard the stuff, to take care of things, the supply lines, the you know, all of those things. And I'm like, ah, just get on the field. You know, I'm a younger guy, I'm full of full of vinegar. But you know, the older that I've gotten, the more that I realize having that logistical support. Having that emotional support, having that ability to pick the phone up and call someone that remembers in 2006 that my country was about to go into civil war and remembers what that was like to be able to talk to. To be able to call up someone and say, you know, Brother Jeff, I'm, I'm, God's got me here on the field and, and this is what, I'm, what, what God's got me doing, but I need to come back and raise some money for this to be able to step in and to help them raise that support, you know. Are to be able to talk, we've got two single ladies in the Yucatan that are right now in the process of searching for a new car. They have been part of their father's ministry the whole time, the Seals girls. They've been part of their father's ministry the whole time, and he has always been there to help them buy their cars. And for the first time in their lives, they're out there trying to find a car, a van for their ministry. To be able to encourage them and to help them, and to, maybe if they need to raise some money, maybe to be able to help them raise some money if they need. They haven't said that yet, you know. But I see the need of what we're doing at BIO to be able to support, to uplift, to encourage, to keep missionaries on the field, to be able to wrap my arm around them when there is a time of crisis, to be able to look at some of our missionaries that are are on deputation. I remember we've been through deputation twice. I told you I wasn't real smart, right? We've been through deputation twice, and one of the things that they told me before going in in 2014, they're like, Brother Jeff, it's going to take you three years to do this. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know what? God raised our support in 16 months. Wonderful, right? I'm very, very pleased about that. But I ran across a number of missionary families that have been on the road for 30 months, and at 40 or 50% of their support has been raised, and they're ready to throw in the towel And I would pull that that husband aside and say, look, man, and, you know, a number of things that I would talk to him about. And encourage them to keep on keeping on, to keep on doing the thing that God's called you to do. Deputation is a proving ground, right? But to be able to come alongside missionaries and to keep them on the task. Not necessarily me keep them on there, but to maybe direct their vision to the task that God is keeping them on to encourage them in the work that they're doing, to be able to maybe lighten their step a little bit as they raise the support that they need or as they stay on the field or as they deal with a crisis. The value in that that I'm seeing in my own life from a couple perspectives. One, it meets a need for the missionaries. But two, it's pretty stinking fulfilling for me. Can I say it that way? It's fulfilling to help people. It's fulfilling to mentor people. It is fulfilling to take 60-some-odd years of life and 50-some-odd years of that as a Christian and to be able to relate some of the troubles and experiences that we have in life and to pour that into a younger family and to help them do the work that God has called them to do. I never, when, when we decided, when we made the commitment to go back to Bolivia, I never envisioned coming off the field. I, I went there to die, but God had other plans. We came back right before COVID in 2020, and I looked at my pastor and I said, I, he and our good friends, and I said, "Steve, I, I I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just being honest with y'all, right? Steve, I don't know what I'm doing here." He said, "Jeff, he said, be patient. In time, God will show you." And you know what? He's a pretty wise fella because he has. God brought us here back to the States at a time our family really needed us. If you followed our prayer letters, I mean, Sandra's mother's about died three or four times in the last couple years. We've had some family members in crisis, and being able to be here for that has been wonderful. But the niche that we're finding through helping bio missionaries, whether it's by a phone call, whether it's by an email, is a fulfilling part and a wonderful thing for us reminds me of a time this is probably back in 2004 there was a missionary family in Bolivia from South Africa and um, I was amazed because we supported missionaries in South Africa do y'all have missionaries in South Africa and I'm like what do you think about the American missionary over there And they said, well, we really like them as long as they'll get out of the way and let the national church do what the national church should do. What? Blew me away. Then, as I've learned through statistics in Latin America, what I've learned is that the best thing that a missionary can do, and I knew this all along, the best thing that a missionary can do is to help a national reach nationals. You know? And that's the, the direction that our ministry is taking is that we're able to help bio missionaries do the work that they're doing. But through these other things in Latin America, we're able to help nationals reach nationals. Yeah. And they can do it a whole lot better than I can. Yeah. But I can help them in a way that maybe somebody else can't. And I see my wife, you know, she, she's kind of gone through the same thing, you know, how do we figure out what, what, what exactly do we do? And, and God is in, in, in enriching our lives through this role. Does all this make sense to y'all? Like I said, I'm just talking, right? I'm just sharing my heart with you tonight. But I find, though, that, that God has put us in a unique place to not only continue working in Bolivia kind of in a different way than we envisioned, right? Um, but also to help missionaries. There's another thing, though, that I think all of us as Christians need to be aware of, and I'm killing my time. Um, Did you know God's bringing the mission field here? I remember 20-some-odd years ago here, and there was 40,000 Latinos in Knox County. I bet it's three times that now. You probably can attest to similar statistics. As a church in America, we would be smart... To realize the greatest mission thing, the mission work that we can have is to win those people and send them home. Not because we don't like them, right? But because they can do a lot better job of reaching their own people than we can. That's something we need to think about and pray about. Yeah, I, I I think that my story is really how do you respond to God? When God presents you an A work that, like, I mean, in in, in 2013, when God started moving in our hearts to go back to Bolivia, my pastor could see it all over me. Sandra had a comfortable job. I had one of the most fulfilling jobs I've ever had at my church, happy as a bug in a rug. But when God brings something different to you, how do you respond? And then when you're enjoying the work that you're doing overseas and God gives you Enlarges you into doing something different than what you have done that might be a little bit more effective. How do you respond to that? Well, hope with obedience, right? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. In your Bibles, I brought 14 sermons with me. You want me to start at the beginning? (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, But I want to talk to you about responding to God. I mean, how many of you have you felt that God has given you something to do in your life? Whether it's shoveling snow on a consistent basis. Whether it's being a greeter at a door. Whether it's teaching a class. Whether it's being a missionary. Whether it's changing fields. Whether it's dealing with life's stresses. Maybe God would have you be a better something in your church maybe god would move you into ministry and you're comfortable where you are i had a guy one time tell me you know brother jeff i'd i'd go to the mission field but i got a house and a boat and a car well you can sell them things and you know what if you don't they'll still be here when you get back and the excuses that we come up with are just absolutely amazing I had one guy tell me one time he says he says brother Jeff he says you know I'm looking to wind my life down a little bit and you're looking to wind yours up some and I think that's probably a pretty good approach to life if you're a, if you're a Christian you ought not to be winding down you ought to be winding up is there ever a time in the scriptures where you have seen that it's okay to quit i don't recall that I I do recall something about finishing the race, and I think that race is finished when either they sign our certificate or the Lord comes back, you know. There's never a time to quit. There's never a time to, I mean, okay, slow down. I get it. I'm 60. I'll be 62. I like slowing down a little bit, right? But there's never a time that we stop doing, that we stop believing, that we stop serving, that we stop finding some outlet to serve God in some capacity in our life. It may shift, it may change, it may evolve into something else. God may move us from doing this to doing that. But we all have things in front of us where it requires a response from us to God. And I want to talk to you about three fellows that faced that. I'll try to finish it in 19 minutes. <clears throat> the first one, what's that? Who? What, what? Okay. The first one is this, Jonah. You remember Jonah? All three of these stories, you're going to know them, right? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Son of Amittai, arise, go to Nineveh that great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Boy, how'd you like to be in that spot? How would you like your wickedness come to the attention of God so much so that he sends someone to you to proclaim the good news to you, right? That's that's the mission work. What did Jonah do? Jo- Jonah, Jonah just said, nope, not happening, didn't he? I mean... He got on a boat and he tried to flee to Tarshish in, chapter, in verse 3 of chapter 1. Nope, not doing it, God. And I don't know, who knows why, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, right? Maybe he was afraid because the people of Nineveh were notorious for their cruelty. And maybe he feared for his safety. I've been afraid for my safety a time or two. 2019 in Bolivia... You know what? We we got an all-out out civil war. Buses are being pulled off the side of the road. Students are being pulled, yanked off of them, being raped and and beaten. And snipers are shooting at buses and people running down the highways. And blockade. Couldn't get out. Couldn't leave your house for a month. We've been there. You've been a little afraid for your safety. Maybe it was hatred because the Assyrians who ruled over Nineveh were known for their brutal conquest and and the oppression of Israel. Right? Maybe maybe he was. A little bit resentful of them and had some hate. Maybe he was reluctant to deliver a message of mercy. Hear me on that. Do you know that's something that's real? You and I have a message of mercy. But do you know there are believers who believe that some people do not deserve to hear that message? That's a real thing. Don't believe me? Who wants, to go, who wants to go to Palestine right now? Right? Who wants to go to the worst Muslim country that you can think of? Right? Maybe it's maybe your fear or hatred or any of those things, but they're literally... I have, I have friends, I'm teaching through this thing on Israel in my church. I have people who think that the Jews don't deserve the message of the gospel. There's a reluctance there to deliver a message of mercy. Maybe, maybe Jonah dealt with that. Maybe he wanted to see them punished for their sins rather than given the opportunity to repent and be spared. Ultimately, you know what it boiled down to? <laughs> Disobedience. We say amen, right? I've been disobedient before. Jonah's reluctance to go to Nineveh was just a simple act of being disobedient to God's direct command. That's what it boils down to, regardless of what his reasons were. And and I'll remind you of that. Often, we come up with, we call them reasons. They're just excuses. Some of them can seem pretty valid at times. But ultimately, they end up being an excuse for disobedience. Well, when the ship put out to the sea and a terrible storm arose and everyone was afraid for their lives except Jonah, what was Jonah doing? That cat was down sleeping somewhere, do you remember? He's snoozing away. He's catching some Z's. And in their desperation, the crew, man, they got all this storm going around them. They don't know what's going on. And they start casting lots and they identify Jonah as the reason for this terrible storm in, in verse 7 of chapter 1 now he's a knucklehead right because he had already told them he was running from his God didn't take much to put two and two together I don't know if it was so much of them casting lots or just maybe seeing the times there but, but you know he told them he was running from God and now they're really afraid and so Jonah admitted to them yeah fellas it's my fault I'm the reason for the storm. Don't look no further. It's me. And, and so he wanted them to throw him overboard. Remember that? What did they do? They didn't want to throw him overboard. They tried to work that much harder and row to the shore. and what would happen, Nothing happened. And so finally, they cast him into the sea. And in verse 17, you read that he was swallowed by a great fish. I don't know what kind of fish it was. It doesn't matter, does it? Might have been a whale. Might have been a big old grouper. Who knows? Of course, I've seen some catfish these days. You never know what kind of fish it was. But he was swallowed by a great fish. And now he's running from God. He said, nope, I'm not doing what you want me to do, God. And he tucks tail and he runs to go the opposite direction of where God would have him go. And now he's in a pretty dire set of circumstances. You read about in chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. And he's down there. Can you imagine that? It's probably dark in the guts of that fish. I bet it stinks too. Anybody like to smell fish? I like to eat some fish, but I don't like to smell it. It's nasty. And, And have you seen what a fish eats? So he's down in the stomach. And all that acid is all over him, his skin is being burnt up, his clothes may be disintegrating a little bit, and he's smelling the nastiness of what's in that fish's stomach. He can't see, thankfully, because who knows what he would see. Some some big old fish eye right there in his eye. Right? Some head of some shark. And he's there and, and what does he do? He cries out to God which is what he should do, right? Isn't that what should happen in a crisis? I mean, Jonah's, I can't imagine a bigger crisis than what Jonah is in, at least in the moment. Isn't that what we should do? Shouldn't our first inclination in a crisis be to cry to God? He didn't whip out his fillet knife and try to carve his way out. He didn't try to reason with the fish, not that he could have. He cries out to God, which is exactly where God wanted him. And you know what he did? The first thing he did? He admitted his sin and he repented. What would you have wanted him to do? And and then what happened was he acknowledged something that salvation can only be found in God. Isn't that the next best, the next thing that you would expect? A Christian to do, a believer to do. And then at that point in time, he promised to serve God. So, what you got here in this incredible set of circumstances, he comes to his senses, he cries out to God, he admits his sin, he repents of his sin, he acknowledges that salvation can only come from God, and he promises to serve God with everything that he has. And you know what? God listened. You know the story. The Bible says that the great fish spit Jonah up on the shore. Stop and think about that for a minute. Do you really want to be spit up on the shore? After having spent some time in the belly of a fish for three days? Stop and think about that. That's a pretty nasty place to be. And once again, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah in chapter 3 in verses 1 through 2 and it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying arise go to Nineveh thy great city and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee remember those guys I mentioned to you that told me that they were called in the ministry before and ran from it the call didn't change for Jonah did it the call was still the same and the message didn't change but there was a heart matter with Jonah that had to change. Jonah had to get to a place where he understood that he was in sin. And he had to confess that sin. And he had to repent from that sin. He had to acknowledge that salvation that he could only God's the only one that could save him. And he had to turn back to God and promise to serve God. And praise God, we serve a God of second chances. I am a testimony of second chances. Maybe you are too. Jonah is. And this time, Jonah, he didn't, he didn't run. He was obedient. He told the people of Nineveh that God would destroy them in 40 days. And you know what happened? They listened. He didn't expect them to listen, but they did. They don't always listen. The, the comforting thing about this is Jonah was not responsible for their response. Jonah was responsible for his obedience. Jonah was responsible for doing what God told him to do, regardless of what anybody else did. Matter of fact, when he didn't do what God told him to do, he endangered the lives of those people around him. But now, he goes to the people of Nineveh, he's obedient, he's walking right with God, and the people listened, they believed, and they repented. Of course, you know, here's the deal. They had to hear before they could believe. For them to hear, they had to have someone tell them the message. And once they heard, they believed and they turned to God. Does that sound familiar to you at all today? How can they hear unless someone tell them? And how can someone tell them unless they be sent? Isn't that what we're seeing right here in Jonah? And once the people of Nineveh repented... God had mercy on them and did not destroy them. Do, do, do you know? God can still have mercy on people. He can have mercy on our country and we need it. Bad. Well, that's another sore story. But he didn't destroy them. And the story goes on from there. You know, Jonah had some other lessons that he had to learn about God's grace, mercy, and salvation. But here's what I want you to focus on, okay? Okay. Despite Jonah's initial reluctance he eventually went to Nineveh and delivered God's message which led to the people of Nineveh repenting and God showing them mercy. Jonah said no. You see, Jonah's problem was that he focused on the task before him. And when he saw the size of the task before him he ran because it was too big for him. However, Once he quit looking at the task, God was able to use him. You're tracking with me on this? So what's the next person? I'm kind of out of chronological order with these, but they fit my outline better. And that's Moses. Jonah said no. You know what Moses said? (laughs) You got the wrong guy. That's what he said, right? Exodus 3 through 4, Moses was shepherding the flock of sheep in Midian and came across the bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed in the fire. In Exodus chapter 3, it says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Oreb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. At that point in time, something's happening, Right? Something weird's taking place, and I'm starting to pay attention. But out of this bush, God reveals Himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid him in verse six. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You know, I, talk, I hear a lot of people on TV talking about boasting about seeing God and marching up to Him in pride and arrogance. It doesn't work that way. When people see God in the Bible, they generally fall over as if they were dead. Moses is hiding out of fear for the Lord. You know, this approach the throne of grace with boldness has nothing to do with arrogance. It has everything to do with confidence in that God will hear us. Another sermon for another day. When's my when you want me to come back? No. Um, So God told Moses, right, he goes to him and he says, Now come now therefore and I will send thee to Pharaoh that thou mightest bring forth my people, the children, out of Egypt. Moses, who am I in verse 11 that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? You see, Moses doubted his ability to carry out the task that God was asking him to do. For Jonah, the task was too big. Moses, he's not big enough. He's looking at himself. And all he sees is an inadequate servant in God's hands. You see, on from there, you know, he questions his ability. Then in verse 13, he worried that the people wouldn't believe him. him. In chapter 4, he was worried that, that they would reject him, right? And Moses answered and said, But, but behold, they, they will not believe me, nor hearken to my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. In every one of these objections, God reassured Moses, and, and then God reminded Moses of who he was. He told Moses that he would be with him, which kind of echoes the words of Jesus for us today, doesn't it? Didn't Jesus said that, say that he'll never leave us or forsake us? that will be with us to the ends of the earth. Kind of the same. You know, God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. He's the same today. Now, he may deal with you differently today than he did yesterday based on his mercy, based on his compassion. But God is justified dealing with you however it is, and it's always going to be within the scope of his character. Well, he told Moses he'd be with him, And then he gave him signs to validate the message. You remember those. I'm not going to get into those. But Moses, even after that, right, he he still continues to express his reluctance and his fear. And he says, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses continued to insist that he was the wrong guy. And he said in verse 13, Oh, Lord, I pray thee by, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. Send someone else is what he's saying. And then in verse 14, this is probably one of the most scary verses that I've ever come across. It says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. How would you like God's direct anger at you as an individual? Not against your sin. We understand God's anger with sin, But God's got an interaction going with Moses here, a a, a conversation, and Moses is whining and complaining, asking God to send someone else, telling God why he wasn't qualified, telling him why he can't do the job that's at hand, and now God's angry, and his anger is turned at one single person. I don't want that, do you? But you know... If God is consistent, that could happen, couldn't it? In, 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 in that utter disobedience and the offering of excuses and, and, and the things that we can throw at God as to why we can't serve him, could that happen to you? I don't want it to happen to me. I doubt you want it to happen to you. Well, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and they shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. Thou shalt be to him instead of God. In other words, everything that God wanted Moses to do, now Aaron was going to be able to do that, and then Moses is going to be the guy in the background there. And finally, Moses reaches that point where he realizes that he is the one who is being called, and it ain't, ha- it ain't changing. God's not going to let him out of it. And the Bible says, and Moses in verse 18, went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return to my brethren which are in Egypt and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt. For all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife, his sons, and set them upon an ass and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Incredible story, right? Now, you remember the focus w- with, with Jonah. Now, here's what I want you to focus on with Moses in spite of his initial reluctance like Jonah, he eventually went to Egypt just as Jonah went to Nineveh and delivered God's message to Egypt just like Moses did in Nineveh, which led Pharaoh to releasing the Israelites from bondage. Jonah says, nope, not happening. Moses said, you've got the wrong guy. You see, Jonah focused on the task that was in front of him, and it was too big in his own eyes. Moses, on the other hand, was that he focused on himself, and he questioned God. However, once he quit looking at himself, just like when Jonah quit looking at the task, when Moses quit looking at himself, God was able to use him. You're following a pattern here, right? Nope! From Jonah. You got the wrong guy from Moses. Well, then it brings us to a fellow named Isaiah. You know the story. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne. And it says In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. And with twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then in verse 5, I woe is me. Remember what I said about when someone sees God, what happens to them? Woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of unclean of people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You can't see God and not be changed. You see, and then in verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken With the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin is purged. And I also in verse 8 heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Check this, folks. Then said I, Here am I, send me. It wasn't no like Jonah. It wasn't you got the wrong guy like Moses. It was here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people hear ye indeed but understand not and see indeed but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Interestingly God sends Isaiah even though Many were not going to listen. Many were not going to understand. God sent him anyway. Now We could talk about missions in context of this, and it would ring a bell, wouldn't it? But isn't the same thing true in your neighborhood? They're not listening. They may not understand. But God has called you to go it's called you you, you and me wherever we are to go here's the focus with Isaiah he didn't focus on the task and he didn't focus on himself you know what he focused on God and once he focused on God God was able to use him Three men, three different responses. Interestingly, that once in all three cases, once they yielded to God in their circumstances, God did great things with them, didn't He? In all three of them, kind of like me and my wife would have gone to Bible college with no kids, that'd have been a lot smarter. (laughs) Maybe Jonah and Moses would have been a lot better off if they'd have just been obedient from the beginning. Here's what I want to say to you tonight. Jonah. Jonah looked outward before he looked upward, and then he looked inward. Moses looked inward before he looked upward, before looking outward. Isaiah looked upward, and once he looked upward, he knew he must look inward. And once he looked inward, He knew that he must look outward. What this shows us is there really is a right way and a wrong way to respond to God, isn't there? You don't want to be like Jonah who looked outward and upward before finally looking inward. Else you'll focus on the task. And you don't want to be like Moses who looked inward before looking upward before finally looking outward. Else you'll focus on yourself, which are two of the biggest obstacles for serving God, by the way. It's best to be like Isaiah, who looked upward, then inward, then outward. Then you'll have things in the right perspective. In other words, it's best to see God for who he is, yourself for who you are, and realize that you need to help others do the same. This comes in a lot of different ways, different forms, different tasks. So here's the question for y'all tonight, and I'm over, I'm sorry. What's God asked, called, told you to do? Maybe you feel like you've been impressed by God to do something specific. Maybe it's that your pastor has asked you to do something or given you an opportunity to serve that you might not have seen for yourself. Maybe it's just a simple command from the word of God to be obedient in something or to something to live holy, to turn your back on a particular sin in your life, to tithe even when you don't think you can afford it, to give to missions when you're reluctant to make a commitment, to serve God in some specific capacity or any number of things. How will you respond? Will you look upward, inward, or outward? If your first response is to look outward, you'll live in fear of what God is asking you to do. You'll be in bondage. You'll be in fear of the task being too big or that the things in your life are an obstacle or that you can't pay the price or even selfishness that what you have going is more important than what God wants you to do. You'll focus on the task rather than God, and you'll miss the wonderful blessings that he has in store for you if you look outward. If you look inward, right? Right? You'll never get past your own inadequacies. You'll be stuck in the world of I can't do it. I don't have enough this. Not enough experience. Not enough education. Not enough blah, 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 blah. I can't. I can't afford it. God can't use me. I'm not educated. God can't use me because of blah, 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 blah. my problems are too big. I'm not qualified. I recently heard that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called, by the way, if you're stuck on that. If you look upward, if that's your first response, you'll see God for who he is. You'll understand exactly who you are, what you are, what he's done for you. And you'll focus on what he wants for you. And you won't be in bondage to the size or difficulty of the task. You won't be in bondage to your own ability or lack thereof. You will be focused on God. And you will have no other response but to say, I have no choice but to do what God would ask me to do. But be careful. You may just miss all that this world has to offer in exchange for the best life that God has in store for you. Amen. So what has God got for you to do? And how will you respond? Upward, inward, or outward? Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we love you. and. I know that I'm speaking to family here tonight. But I do know that you call family. That you task family. That you move family to be about your purposes. Lord, I know that it's your family, it's your children that you have given this wonderful inheritance to that you expect things from. And you are right to do so. And we are responsible to be obedient to your expectations in our life. God, let us be a people tonight that won't look outward at the task. That won't look inward at self. Lord, let us be a people that look squarely at you, seeking your faith. Be with us this evening in jesus name amen uh-huh.